right, good morning. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to turn to Genesis 35. We're going to look at Genesis 35, verses 1 to 15. Um, if you don't have a Bible, it's printing your order of worship. But I, uh, as I often do, encourage you, if you have a Bible, a Bible at home, to bring it and follow along in there. Um, in case we look at other passages, it's helpful to have, or it's also helpful sometimes to look at the passages around what we're looking at to help you, help you understand it a little better. Um, and if you don't have a Bible, let me know after church, and I will, I will be happy to get you one. Um, but we're looking at Genesis, Genesis 35 as we conclude our series on the life of Jacob this morning. We've been looking at Jacob over the, over the summer, and, um, and Jacob continues to find himself in the narrative throughout the rest of Genesis, but really it, it starts to focus more on his kids and especially on Joseph, his son. Um, and so you really find the, 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 the section on Jacob really ends here in chapter 35. And here in 35, God calls Jacob to go back to a place that's really significant to him. He tells him to go back to Bethel. And if you remember at all, that uh, Jacob first was at Bethel when he was running away from home 30 years earlier. And he went to sleep and God um, gave him a dream and spoke to him and said, I'm gonna be with you and I'm gonna take care of you and I'm gonna pour out my grace upon you and I'm gonna give you, make you into a nation and I'm gonna give you all of this land. And, and, and it's this really momentous moment for Jacob as he vows to, to obey God and follow him and come back and worship him. And so he's coming back like 30 years later and he's coming back to Bethel. And uh, I don't know if, if you've ever experienced this, but uh, have you ever gone back to a place maybe where you grew up many, many years later and it brings up all sorts of memories, right? Um, and and it, it often will force us to think about how, how far we've come or the things that we've been through since then and possibly where we're going. So listen to God's word as I read Genesis 35 as Jacob comes back to Bethel. This is God's word. God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you and you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Then, then let us arise and go up to Bethel so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and who has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had and the rings that were in their ears. Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. And as they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them so that they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. And Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan. He and all the people who were with him. And there he built an altar and called the place El Bethel because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother and Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried under an oak below Bethel. So he called its name Alon Bakuth. God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Paddan Aram and blessed him. And God said to him, your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. Then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him. And, God, and Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. He poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. So Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him, 
Bethel. This is the word of God. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that as we look at your word together this morning, that you would speak to us. Father, we pray that you would make our hearts ready and receptive to hear what you want to say. And we pray that as we think about your word, that you would work in us by your spirit to bring real change. We pray, Father, that you would reveal yourself, that we would see you more clearly, and that more than anything, we would simply behold you and your son, Jesus. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you have lived any normal kind of life, then you have some scars to prove it. Um, I'm sure all of you have some scars to prove that you've been through different things. As you, as you think about, sometimes uh, I'll look at the scars, even just that are on my hands, and I'll, and I'll be reminded of things that I have been through in my life. You know, I have this scar right here from when I was a little kid, and I, and I inadvertently touched a frying pan with the back of my hand and burned the back of my hand. And I, and I have uh, this scar right here when I was playing uh, pickup basketball with my friends in high school, and uh, the ball was going out of bounds, and I dove to try to get it, and I like, just took a giant chunk out of my hand. And, uh, and, and then this, this scar is really interesting right here. It's getting very faint, but I, I, I played baseball in fifth grade, and when I was at bat one time, I got hit by the pitch, and the ball, the laces of the ball left a mark on the back of my hand. It didn't even break the skin, but the mark never went away. How can you explain? I can't explain that. I don't know why that is, but it's strange. And then I've, I've got this other scar here from just a couple years ago. Probably the biggest scar that I have on my, on my arm at the moment is uh, I, I went for my 50th birthday. I, uh, I went to a, a, an extreme ropes course with my older sons. And on the very first element, which are these platforms, platforms hanging by ropes, I thought I could do it without holding on. And I just totally face planted right on the platform and like totally tore up like this, this part of my arm. Um, it was incredibly embarrassing and I held on for the rest of the, the course for sure. Um, and I regretted going in some ways, but it was, it was, a, it was a good time. No, it was a good time. But if, if, you've, if you've lived any kind of life, you have scars that remind you of what you have been through. And, and they're not always physical scars, right? We have mental scars, emotional scars of things that we've been through. Um, and if that is the case for you, and I'm sure it is, then you should be able to relate to Jacob at this point in his life. Jacob has a lot of scars from just what he's gone through in his life. He's been through a lot, um, and most of his scars aren't physical necessarily that I'm talking about, but, but he's, he's got scars. He's got things that have left their mark on him emotionally, mentally, um, spiritually. I mean, he has, he has scars from 30 years ago when he betrayed. Uh, he, he lied to his father, cheated his brother. He's got scars of the shame of that moment, that whole situation. He's got scars that uh, are, are from him having to run away from home back those 30 years earlier, having to leave everything that he knew, all that he loved, where he was comfortable. Um, he's got scars from living in his uncle's household in Paddan Aram with, uh, with Laban, where Laban really cheated him in a number of ways and mistreated him for 20 years. Um, he's got scars. He, he's got scars and, and marks that have been left on him from living in a home with multiple wives who didn't necessarily get along with each other and were never happy because of uh, probably him <laughs> in a lot of ways. Um, 
he's got a lot of scars. And he does have one physical scar, one notable physical scar. If you remember just a couple weeks ago, weeks, weeks ago when Tyler preached on the, the passage where he met God in the middle of the night and God wrestled with him. And what did God do? How did God finish the fight? He touched his hip, wrenched it out of its socket. And he's probably walking with pain for the rest of his life, walking with a limp for the rest of his life. He's got a scar from meeting God. And so he's been through a lot. Can you relate to him? I'm sure you can. I'm sure all of you can think of many things that you have been through, things that you've struggled to go through, things that have been hard to go through, things that have been painful to go through, things that have left their mark on you. And as you think about the scars that you have from your own life and the things that are leaving scars even right now, there are two simple truths from this passage that I think are really helpful for us to keep in mind um, to really think about as we continue to build up scars and we look back on our scars. One is that in the midst of all of our, the things that we go through, um, God's agenda for us is that uh, he wants to change us. He wants to change his people. Um, when you look at the entire Bible and you look at all the different people in the Bible, Jacob is probably near the top of the people in the Bible where you notice like the, the greatest character arc you know, you know, you really see a change in this guy where he, he starts off as Jacob, right? Jacob meaning cheater, deceiver, looking to, for how he can, he can grasp anything he can to like take care of himself, right? And he is changed by this point um, to a guy who's really grasping onto God in a lot of ways, right? As we saw when he wrestled with God a couple weeks ago, he, he was holding onto God and he wouldn't let go. Um, one of the things that, that highlights the fact that, that Jacob has been changed and is how God changes his name, right? Back when he wrestled with God a couple, back in, uh, in the earlier chapter, uh, God gave him a new name. He t- said, your no- name is no longer Jacob, but your name is Israel. And now, now God reaffirms that fact. He says, your, your name is no longer Jacob, you are now Israel. God is telling Jacob, you no longer are who you, who you were. You are now someone different, after having met with me. You are different. God's agenda for every single one of his people, for every person that he's in a relationship with, with is to change them. That means he, his agenda for you is to change you. A change isn't something that probably many of us are really eager to, uh, to experience. I mean, a lot of us are really comfortable with who we are. But this is just one of the fundamental things that we need to count on. If we really believe that we know God and have a relationship with him, we need to count on the fact that, his, um, that he wants to change us. He wants to make you different. The good news is that, and the exciting part, is that what he wants to make of you is something incredibly beautiful. He wants to make you into something glorious. And that's what he's been doing with Jacob, right? As I mentioned before, he, he's been changing him from Jacob the cheater, Jacob the deceiver, into Israel, the one who has struggled with God and yet has overcome, right? I would say that Israel is definitely an upgrade from Jacob, and that's what God is doing. God is making Jacob into something that is more beautiful, more glorious than he was before. Um, I'm, I'm a fan of, uh, of murals. I love a good mural. When, as you drive through a city, and you see a painting on the side of a, of a building, you know, that, that just, that's colorful and it adds interest and beauty to everything around it. 
And so you can imagine my excitement when I was driving down Main Street in my town. I live in Wharton. I was driving down my, my Main Street last week, and there's a, a bakery right at the center of town, right at the, the main intersection of town. You can get the main, Wharton's kind of a small town. It's like the most prominent intersection at the center of town. There's a bakery, and it's got these red brick walls, and there's a guy there painting one of the walls. And I'm like, I can't believe this. This is awesome. This is so exciting. And, and he, so he painted the one wall, and then he painted another wall around the corner, and it, is, it looks incredible. I'm like, we're now a town with a mural. It's, it's so cool. I mean, it honestly transforms that intersection. It makes it more beautiful. It makes everything around it more interesting. And um, as he was painting the second wall, I, was, I, was, I went out for a walk just because I wanted to see it, and I walked by him, and I was like, this is really beautiful, you know? And, and I was just, as I was thinking about, like, what, what kind of a gift is it to be able to look at this plain, boring, red brick wall and envision something that is beautiful, that is going to capture people's eyes, that has, that's full of color, um, that makes everything around it more beautiful. And that's how God looks at each and every one of us. When he sees you, he envisions something that is more beautiful than we could even imagine, more glorious than he can imagine. And that's what he wants to do with you. He wants to, 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 to paint a mural with your life and make you different, make you more glorious, make you a person that makes everything around you more interesting and beautiful and glorious. That's the good news. And, and so, I mean, a big part of, of, of my hope is not what I can make of myself, but what God is going to make of me. That is what the big hope of my life is. What is God going to do with me? What, what kind of glorious thing is, going, he's, is he going to make of me? Um, the, 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 the bad news i got to break to you, though, is that even though God has got something really beautiful in mind for you, and he's working on it, even today, and he's using all of those things that are hard, the scars that he's... That, that, that are kind of accumulating in your life, he's using those things to make you beautiful. It's a long and slow process. It's a long and slow process. It's not an overnight thing. When God says, Jacob, your name is now Israel, Jacob doesn't automatically just immediately change into something that is perfect, right? And you see that here in Genesis 35, right? Remember, 30 years earlier, God showed up and, and appeared to Jacob and said, I am going to bless you I'm going to be with you. I'm never going to leave you. I'm going to make you into a great nation. And, and, and God continues to show up for Jacob, and he protects him, and he provides for him in all sorts of different ways and, and gives him all of this wealth and builds this massive family. And, and so at, back 30 years earlier, Jacob said, yeah, I'm going to follow you, and I'm going to come back here, and I'm going to worship you, God. And he was like, it seemed like he was all in. And yet now, where do we find Jacob 30, 30 years later? Um, well, he's left Laban. He's kind of come back to Canaan, but he hasn't made it all the way back to Bethel. He's actually, uh, if you, in the, the chapters right before this, he, after he, he kind of greet, he's greeted by his brother and they're kind of rec they, they're reconciled, but he ends up setting up camp kind of in the outskirts of Canaan in a place called Shechem. And so he's living there instead of coming, really coming back home. He's kind of like, he's just kind of dipping his toe back into the land that God promised him. And then, after God tells him to go back to Bethel and dwell there, what does he do? Verse two, he says, so Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Jacob, what is he doing? God has shown up 
powerfully to him. And yet he continues to live in a tent that is full of foreign gods. He's got all of these idols lying around in his family and his, and his household. Why hasn't he gotten rid of all those? Why hasn't he just been all in? He's, we're gonna, we're gonna follow Yahweh. Why hasn't he been like that? And yet he has all of these idols, these foreign gods just accumulated in his house that they need to get rid of. Um, God's been working on him, but he's still got a long way to go. And this is a really, actually a good picture of us. It's a really good picture of every single one of us. Um, If you have trusted in Jesus, no matter how long ago, no matter how long you've been following him, every single one of us has a bunch of foreign gods that are just accumulating in our lives that we haven't gotten rid of, that we haven't surrendered to him, you know? We've got a bunch of idols hanging around, laying around, that we're we're holding on to, that we think are going to make us more secure, that we think are going to happiness and satisfaction and fulfillment, things that we think are going to take care of us. You know, we, we have these things that, uh, that we look to for comfort, a life of comfort. We, ha- we, we, we look to others' opinions of us, and we keep those things around, what other people say about us, what we even tell ourselves. We are, our financial health, health is, is an idol that we have often laying around in our homes. The, the ideal vision that we have for our spouse or our kids or our friends, kind of this idealized picture of our life is often laying around. We think that's what's going to satisfy us. Our ability to control things, to control our schedule, to control a different facet of our life, that's another idol that is often laying around that we haven't surrendered. Our appearance, how we look to other people, how we look to ourselves. There's all sorts of things that have just like, they're, they're just laying around that we are clinging to instead of surrendering to God. And, and, and that's what we need to continually do as God, as we recognize that God is changing us, is working on us. We need to be looking at our lives and saying, what do I need to surrender to him? What do I need to take and bury? Like Jacob does with these idols and leave behind God, help me to do that. It's, it's a lo- long and a slow process. And so God wants to change us, and he's using all that we go through to do it, all the scars that we pick up along the way. And I think it's, it's, it can be scary to surrender to that, to surrender to the fact that God wants me to be different. Um, because the easiest thing is for me to just keep, keep you know, doing what I'm doing. That's the easiest thing. And it's scary to just really surrender to God's agenda for me. But I think this passage also shows us something that's incredibly encouraging, something that's incredibly comforting, which is that while God's agenda is to change us, God's nature is to remain unchanging. As you look at Jacob and as you look at all that he has gone through, when you see the way that God speaks to Jacob and what God says to Jacob here, God has not changed one iota since he revealed himself to Jacob. 30 years ago. God hasn't changed since he revealed himself to Isaac before that. God hasn't changed since he revealed himself to Abraham before that. The promises that he makes here, that he reaffirms to Jacob, are the same exact promises that he made to his grandfather Abraham, right? And so God hasn't changed. And that's one of the most comforting things that we can, that we can 
think about is the fact that no matter what we go through, no matter how far we've come, we're always going to meet God who is the same. We're always going to meet a God who is utterly gracious. He never stops being gracious to us. He never stops showing grace. Uh, God showed up to Jacob to love him at possibly one of his most shameful moments, right? 30 years earlier, when he was laying there in the wilderness by himself after the shame of betraying his family and having to run away. Did he deserve for God to come and say, you're the sort of guy I want to hang out with. You're the sort of guy I want to commit to. No. And yet God shows up and he says, I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to do all sorts of incredible things for you. And that's the same God that shows up here. Even after Jacob has, you know, he hasn't cleaned out his house from all of his idols yet. He hasn't come all the way back to Bethel to worship God. And yet God says, I'm still here and I'm still going to love you. You haven't disqualified yourself from my love. And God never stops being present either. He never stops being present. He, back when he met Jacob 30 years earlier, he said, I'm going to be with you and I'm never going to leave you. And then here in this passage, again, Jacob reminds himself of that fact. He says, right, he says in, in verse 3, he says, let us arise and go up to Bethel so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. He recognizes that God has never left him. He's always been with him. And as they progress through Canaan, they've done some things, if you want to read the chapter before this, to really offend the people of Canaan. The people of Canaan would have been out to just destroy them. And yet, what does it say? The terror of God, the fact that God was present, protected them, kept them safe. And God never stops doing good, right? He makes the same exact promise here that he made to Jacob earlier in verses 11 and 12. He promises to make him into a great nation. He promises to give him all this land. That is who God was. That is who God is. That is who God always will be. The same God that reveals himself to Jacob and Isaac and Abraham is the same God who is living now in our lives. No matter what you have done, no matter what shameful thing you have in your past, that does not disqualify you from his love for you. Nothing does. He promises to be with you. You know, you think about all the things that we go through, the things that are painful, the things that leave scars. It can be really hard sometimes to believe that God is present, but he is. He is. And he won't leave you. And he will never stop doing you good. Every morning that you wake up, you need to remind yourself of this, that everything that happens today is God doing something good to me. Even the things that are going to leave a scar later, God's going to use that. Romans 8, right? And God will work all things for the good of those who love him. Every single thing in your life he's going to use for your good to make something beautiful of your life. To make something beautiful of your life. There's a, um, there's a book titled, um, Beautiful People Don't Just Happen. A guy named Scott Sauls, and it, 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 it's really true. All of the scars that we pick up along the way, those are the things often that make us most glorious and beautiful and that bless those around us. There's a really great scene in the movie Wonder. I don't know if any of you guys have seen the movie Wonder um, about this little kid. His name's Augie, and 
He has, uh, I believe it's called Treacher Collins syndrome, where his face, he's born with a face that does not look like other kids' faces. And so he goes through surgery after surgery to make him look more like other kids. And he, he's homeschooled, but he finally goes to school with all these other kids, and he comes home the first day, and he's distraught. And he's bawling, he's crying, he's like, it was horrible, nobody wanted to sit with me, everybody was staring at me. Why do I have to be so ugly? And his mom, who's played by Julia uh, Roberts, says this, this really beautiful line. She, she's like, you're not ugly, Augie. We all have marks on our faces. She's like, I have this mark here, these wrinkles from your first surgery. I have these marks here from your last surgery. We all have marks. And then she says, you know, this, the, the marks on our face, these, these, these wrinkles, this is the roadmap that shows where we've been. That's what she says. And she says, it's never ugly. It's always beautiful. God is using all that you go through, all of the things that are going to leave a scar later to make you into something that is glorious, truly glorious. And he will not stop. The question is, how can this be possible? How can God be so consistently good in the face of our slow progress at becoming who he made us to be? This is where we need to realize that, that as God deals with Jacob, as God deals with us, he's not you know, focusing in on this, just this single moment. He's got his eyes set on the big picture, on a much bigger picture. He's looking at the long game here when he makes his promises to Jacob. Right? As he makes his promise to Jacob, he, he makes the same exact promise that he made to Abraham and to Isaac, but then he adds a little bit of more information here when he says in verse 11, a company of nations shall come from you and kings shall come from your own body. He hasn't mentioned that yet to uh, Isaac or to Abraham. Kings shall come from your own body. And what is he talking about there? Of course, he's talking about the fact that Israel is going to grow to be a nation with kings who rule over that nation, and most notably, kings like King David. But more importantly, he's even looking further down the road. He's looking at the king of kings, the ultimate king, Jesus Christ. When he says, kings shall come from your own body, I think God is specifically talking about Jesus, the one who rules over all things. And part of what makes him the most worthy king ever, the most worthy king of all, is the fact that he humbled himself and came into our world and submitted himself to accumulating his own scars, right? Jesus has scars. Even after he rose from the dead, he still has those scars to show what he has been through. Remember when Thomas was like, I, I don't believe it. I don't believe that he rose from the dead. Show me, show me the holes in his hands a hole in his side. Jesus still has the scars. And, and, and when we see him, he might tell us, you know, yeah, I have this one right here from when they drove a nail through my hand. And, and that was for you. That was for you. You know, I have this one on my back from when they flogged me. They whipped me over and over again. And that was for you. That was to, so, so that you would know that you were loved, so that you could be forgiven for your sins. I received those marks to pay for your sin. To know that you would be loved forever. To know that I would never leave you or forsake you. To know that 
I'm going to make something beautiful out of your life. And Jesus experienced the worst that life has to offer, and he has the scars to prove it. And it's those scars that, that speak, that speak of his love, that speak of his grace. And so as you endure the things in your own life that are going to leave scars, I encourage you to remember his. Because his scars are the things that remind us that of these things about the fact that God never changes, that he will always show us his grace, even in the face of our worst moments. And he will never leave us.